So the reason things were a little bit crazy, first service, was uh, today is a different kind of day here at Mendham Hills Community Church. If you're visiting, you have walked in on a very interesting day, which will get explained to you along the way, because today I am being ordained. How about that? I just saw my sister-in-law boo me, but we'll catch up on that later. Uh, this is a day long in the coming, um, and we'll be talking about that along the way, too. But it is a special day for me and my family, and I'm so glad that you all uh, waited through the parking craziness out there to come and join me in it. And so we're going to have a couple different speakers talk about this today, and then I'm going to give you a little bit of an exhortation, too. Uh, to begin with, though, uh, we are going to ask our long-term, long-time, and rapidly aging head elder... Um, <laughs> He still holds the pin record at his high school and at your Division I college. Did you own no. that pin record? No. no? Well, see, then I just ruined the whole thing. But he was a pretty good wrestler, and he's an even better head elder. We have been walking with Jesus together for a couple of decades. Ladies and gentlemen, wildly invite to the platform, Eric Munchman. Good morning. Buenos dias, everyone. I couldn't even take on Caleb today. <laughs> anyway, I have the privilege. Today is a very special day. I have the privilege of uh, sharing some words here, as well as a couple of other men. One of those men is uh, Gary Borcherding. If you've been here, you probably hear John reference Gary like every other week as his mentor and someone that he connects with and talks to. Um, Gary used to be uh, a head elder here for a long, long time. I've served alongside Gary. And even at this stage of his life, he's just still following the call of Jesus. He's the, first, uh, he's the pastor of the First Presbyterian Church down in Spring Lake, North Carolina. But he wanted to be uh, sharing this and be a part of this. So I'm going to allow Gary to speak to us via video. Hey, John. Jan and I sure wish that we could be with you this weekend to celebrate this affirmation of God's calling you uh, into pastoral ministry. I've been thinking about a couple passages uh, as I think about our friendship and relationship over the years. I think about Paul in Philippians 3 where he said, whatever was to his prophet, he now considers lost for the sake of Christ, and that he considered everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. You and I have talked about this a lot. This isn't head stuff. This is a relationship, intimacy, a conversational relationship with Jesus. And I know that's what, what you want and have. And it also reminds me, that reminds me of Colossians 1, where uh, uh, Paul is talking about the desire to present everyone that he's ministering to mature in Christ. And he says, to this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. So, John, may you continue to struggle powerfully with his energy as it is your desire for you and all of the people at Mendham to grow to maturity. Don't let the great programs, the great ministries beguile any of you into thinking that that is Christianity. That can't just be churchianity, but let it all lead you, you and your people, to know Jesus better. Love you, brother. Congratulations. So I also have the privilege of sharing some words here with you. And as, as John said, this is really more about an exhortation for John as it is, as, as it is for us. Um, I'm a representative of your board of elders, any, you know, just a godly group of guys, any one of which could be standing up in my place today. I also speak as someone who, as John mentioned, um, I might be willing to take you on, John, but not, <laughs> but not Caleb, but as John mentioned for a long time, uh, you could run. <laughs> uh, Anyway, for more than 20 years, we really have uh, shoulder side by side been working together in this ministry. And most importantly, I feel is that uh, I'm here sharing as John's friend. And John really is one of the few guys in my life that will end our phone calls with love you much and love you, John. So what is John's middle name? 
Henry, yes. <laughs> of course, John Henry Iceman. How often do we hear it? We hear when John wants to make a point to himself and also share it with us. So here's some special Bible verses that we, we have heard from John. John Henry Iceman. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. John Henry Eisman, you shared this this morning, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. John Henry Eisman, they will know us by our love. John Henry Eisman, do not trust in your house, your job, your finances, your 401k, but trust in the Lord God. And John Henry Eisman, it just so happens, as with Naomi, Boaz, and Ruth, with the rest of the Bible and with us, that God is in control and is working in our lives. So much so that this track guy from Rutgers, a Dallas Cowboys fan, and you still have some, something to cheer for, a New York Mets fan, not so much so, <laughs> a, a banker with a CFA, is standing here at the precipice of being ordained as a reverend in the Christian and Missionary Alliance. If you know John, you know that he's not so much about the institution of the church as he is about the transformational power of knowing Jesus Christ. John lives this out. He not only hears the word, but he also encourages, he does it. He does what it says and he encourages us to do the same. When John became the lead pastor, the elders also asked him to pursue his ordination. The fact that we're all here today is a testimony to John's faith in God and his willingness to do uh, what we asked. It was no small task, though. So on a regular basis, John is preparing sermons. He's uh, uh, doing counseling. He's, he's willing to meet with any and all of us, doing marriage counseling, heading trips to Guatemala, serving on the board of Beyond the Walls, leading the elders, uh, also being a husband, a dad, a son, and a brother. And in between that, just squeeze in all the study, the writing, the materials, the meetings, the preparation that goes into the ordination process. So to that, John, I say, well done. God has certainly gifted you with many talents. So my exhortation to you, John, is that you would continue to follow Christ and to be totally dependent on him. Gordon MacDonald said it is better to have a dependence mindset than a performance mindset. Paradoxically, the more we rely on God, the more we can be the human being that he created us to be. So my word for you comes from 2 Corinthians. Here Paul shares, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So I encourage you then, John Henry Eisman, to be weak, to totally rely on God, and in your weakness, be strong. You'll need it as we seek to pursue God's plan and mission for this place over the coming years with you as our ordained reverend and servant leader. I love you, John. So our next speaker is actually someone else who used to be a member of this church. He is a uh, colonel. He is a doctor. He is also an Army Ranger chaplain, and his name is Dave Bolas. He's someone who I have knelt down here, uh, you know, at this stage many, many mornings. Um, I've also done a lot of push-ups with Dave Bolas, so. <laughs> um, but I, he's going to speak to us um, via video as well. Hey John, this is your friend Dave Bolas here. Thanks for asking me to provide a few words for your ordination ceremony. It's an honor. But seriously, things must be pretty desperate out there that you called in the army. From one simple guy to another, I have two thoughts for you during this ceremony. First, I wanted to encourage you that you are called to lead. Since we first met at Mendham Hills in 1998, I've seen your strong qualities of leadership and an anointing to lead. But most importantly, 
you know that it's not about you. And so on those days when you doubt your ability to lead, let me affirm you that as your friend and an army officer and chaplain who is around leaders day in and day out, you are called by Christ to lead. The Apostle Paul said this in Romans 12, 8, if God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And of the several gifts that you've been graciously given, spiritual leadership is one of them. So lead your precious flock with character, love, and in his strength. John, second, remember that before you were called to lead Christ church, you were called to be his child. The quality of your leadership will only be as effective as the quality of your intimate relationship with Jesus. Because we can't give what we don't have. If we aren't experiencing a deepening fellowship with the Father personally, we will fail in leading others near to him corporately. So may Jesus' encouragement in John 15, 5 be your guide, where he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So John, congratulations. Be a man of character. Fulfill your calling. Have fun. And on the bad days, know that at least the Army and your friend Dave is rooting for you. God bless you. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, my name is uh, Doug Bordner, and I'm here uh, representing uh, the Metropolitan District and the Christian Missionary Alliance. Uh, I am excited here to be able to uh, bring uh, to you, uh, sp but specifically to John, a charge uh, from the Word of God uh, pertaining to uh, ordination. One of the, uh, the thrills of being a pastor is when we get to preach at a wedding ceremony. And while uh, most of the time uh, you prepare a message and you give it to the, uh, to the couple, there's so many emotions that they're not even paying any attention to uh, what you're saying. You're really preaching to the audience. And so today, while my thoughts are going to be focused uh, towards uh, John, and uh, to be honest, we had to cut him short in the first service, um, so uh, I'm going to let it go this afternoon because there's no time constraints except uh, the Super Bowl champions are playing later this afternoon, so we do have to finish uh, by, uh, by them. But while most of my conversation uh, and points are going to be focused on John, like wedding ceremonies, I'm hoping that you're going to be able to take and to be able to glean from some of the words of encouragement that I want to give uh, to your pastor this morning. Uh, as we start, uh, there's several people that I want to start with and just ask to see if you know what is the uh, common um, thread between all of these. Uh, Conan O'Brien, Al Sharpton, Paul, uh, Paul McCartney, uh, Amorosa, Richard Bronson, and Lady Gaga. It's a wide variety of a group, but what do they all have in common? Let me just add one more thing to add a little bit of a twist to it. Next slide. What do they have in common with John Eisman? Their 403Bs are probably a little bit larger than John's right about now. They're all ordained ministers. You see, Al Sharpton was ordained by Bishop F.D. Washington at the age of 10. Lady Gaga uh, wanted to officiate at her uh, best friend's wedding, so she went online, filled out a few forms, and uh, uh, became ordained. Amorosa, uh, remember her from The Apprentice and uh, Trump White House? She, uh, she actually, in uh, 2012, was recognized by her church as a uh, preaching uh, person, preaching license, and a year later actually received her uh, ordination. Uh, John, I've got some good news and some bad news uh, for you. Uh, the bad news is you could have found a way easier way of getting ordination uh, than what you had to go through. Believe it or not, there is a $25 ordination online. You fill out just three questions, pay $25, and they will email you a certificate you have to print out just like this that says you're ordained, and also they throw in a free t-shirt with that. <laughs> but actually the good news, John, is that you did not choose the easy path. Instead, you pressed into a rigorous process that the Alliance had set uh, before you to be able to prepare you for ministry. 
Uh, as you all know that John did not come the traditional route that oftentimes clergy comes of Bible college and seminary. Uh, John uh, was called out of a corporate world and didn't have a lot of the Bible and the, the, the formalized training that he would have. So he actually had a harder route uh, over the last uh, probably four to five years. He met on a regular basis with the district superintendent in his office. And I think after comparing golf games, they went through uh, uh, systematically Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. And they actually talked and wrestled through what do all of the theological and biblical passages uh, mean. I think that's a lot harder of a route than go by than to go through if you were in a classroom setting. All of you have been in classroom settings and you know you can check out. Well, if it's just you and your boss sitting in an office, you can't check out. John went through that process. He read over 10 um, books, wrote six theological position papers uh, and examination. Uh, part of the way that our polity works, uh, just to put your heart to uh, rest, is saying, okay, he's been our pastor, but he's not ordained. The way that we work within the Christian Missionary Alliance is we want you to serve in the capacity of a leader and to be apprenticed into this role. And so for the last several years, as your pastor, he has been mentored and developed uh, by your elders and by the district and by other colleagues to be able to come to this place where the elders... And the district and his colleagues of other pastors come to the place and say that he is ready to sit for an oral exam. That oral exam took about two and a half to three hours. It's a, about a dozen um, seasoned uh, pastors who are known for their ministerial and theological uh, mastery. And after all of that, we come today, and as a representative of the Alliance, I stand before you and present John Henry Eisman to you as a man who has been prepared and is ready to be set apart as an ordained minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, here's the problem in our society. Everyone has the right to say anything, to post any opinion, to tweet with authority using 140 characters or less. In a society where everyone has an opinion, no one really is considered an expert. A $25 online ordination, all it does is it just adds to the noise that no one listens to. You see, very few people in today's society raise to the level of an authority. What we need in this world more than anything is a voice of authority that can cut through all of the noise of the shallow opinions. We desperately need to clearly hear a message that we can follow with confidence. You see, we need men and women whose authority is backed up by the credibility of the life they live. That's what our process does. You see, this world is so complex, challenges are real, the hurt is so deep, anxieties and fear are crippling, the darkness and evil seems like on a daily basis are overtaking the goodness in the world. Something has to change. You see, this world, this community, and this church needs trustworthy people who can speak with authority and credibility on behalf of God, who can prepare the way for Jesus and to be able to see the kingdom of God come here in New Jersey just as it is in heaven. And a $25 three-question ordination exam is not going to cut it. You see, we need leaders in our churches who are capable and credible to lead people into the promises that God has for them. John, there are a few lessons that I would like to share with you from the life and the ministry of Joshua. I would like to leave you with these today as you start and venture into this new chapter, a new season of your ministry. 
The first thing that as we look at the book of Joshua that we see, before God did any of the amazing miracles, before the walls of Jericho came down, before uh, the mighty uh, army of Israel defeated and threw out all of the people, as the Israelites were there with anticipation, ready to walk in to the promises that God gave generations before to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, God spoke to Joshua. He gave him a message and it says, this is a message I want you to give to the entire people of Israel. And we find this in Joshua chapter two, verse five. He says this, consecrate yourself for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecrate yourselves. So what does that mean to consecrate ourselves? Consecration means two things. First of all, it means recognizing what is sacred and then allowing that sacred item or person to be used for God. Before God did any miracle, he wanted to remind the people of Israel that they were sacred, that it was nothing that they earned, it was nothing that they achieved, that even those times where, where they were in bondage and slavery and walking through the hardships of the desert, God wanted them to know that in that entire time, they were special. There was a sacredness to them. You see, what makes things sacred is God's presence. He's the one that makes things sacred. We can't make anything sacred. And John, as we celebrate today what God has done in your life, and as we consecrate you and set you apart for ordained ministry, never forget the sacred call that he has given you. This is not anything that you've earned. It's not what you've achieved. It's not what you've worked for. Before time began, God saw John and said, there's a sacredness. My presence is with you. And I'm making that call in your life sacred. Now today, this morning, we are celebrating John's sacred call. But all of us who call ourselves part of God's family, God's presence dwells in us. While his sacred calling is an ordained minister, all of us have a sacred calling. I encourage you as you drive home and as you think, wrestle through what is that sacred calling? God's presence in your life. But there's a second part of consecrating, not just recognizing what God has done in his presence, but it also requires obedience. You see, before the Israelites walked across the, the Jordan, before they walked and, and walked around the fortified cities, before they did any of the things, God said, I want your yes now. Will you be obedient to what I ask, no matter how crazy it sounds? John, there's a lot that we are celebrating today, but one of the most significant things that we are celebrating is you saying yes. I say before you today as a friend, as a colleague, you have stewarded the sacred calling well. Continue, keep leaning into that. Keep saying yes to God. The second thing that I think we can learn from Joshua is that, always, that Joshua always followed God's leading, not the instincts. The times that Joshua followed his instincts were times he got himself and the nation in trouble. Before they crossed over, God gave Joshua and the people of Israel this command in chapter 2. He said this, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Why? Because that's where God's presence was. I will lead you into this place. And then he says in verse four, then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. And we live in a complex, ever-changing world. There's no way for us to predict what is tomorrow. How do, we know what we'll, how do we know what we're supposed to give ourselves to? How do we know how to lead our churches, our families, our children? We've never been this way before. 
And then he goes on and he says this very interesting thing. But keep a distance, about 3,000 feet, about a half a mile between you and the ark. Do not go near it. You see, I think God said that because he knows Joshua. He knows the type of leader he is and the, way, the ability that he has that says, let's go, let's charge, let's go. And you know what, as leaders, it's so easy for us to run ahead of what God wants for us. And we get there and we wait for God to catch up. John, never, ever, ever get ahead of where God is leading you. Say about a half a mile back and watch where he leads. I think the other tendency for leaders sometimes, especially in going into places where we've never been before, it's easy for us to step back and say, whoa, I don't know if God's leading us there. But God gave Joshua that very strong warning that says, be strong and courageous. Fear not, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You see, the best leaders have great instincts. And John, I've seen you. You have great instincts. But Satan's trap is to make you believe that you can do it on your own. One of the greatest lessons that I think Joshua learned from his predecessor Moses was the the tent of meeting. You see, whenever Moses was in a place where he didn't know what to do and things were overwhelming, he would go outside of the camp and he would set up this tent And God's presence would meet him there. He would go in and he would meet with God. And when he came out, everyone knew that he was in the presence of God. And he would stand before God's people and say, this is what God said. John, spend time in your tent of meeting. Don't sacrifice or shortcut your personal time with God for the sake or goodness of the church. Don't trust your instincts. Follow God. And the third thing that I think we can learn from Joshua is that Joshua led people to God's promises and did not let them settle for just good enough. Here's the Israelites. The Israelites saw all of these miraculous battles take place. They walked around Jericho, and then the walls came down. They went up against these mighty battles and they won, greatly undermanned. But you know what the Israelites did? They failed to finish the task. Several times throughout the book of Joshua, you see uh, Joshua say that they failed to drive out all of the Canaanites, all of the Jebusites. You know why? I think the people settled for just good enough. They started to experience the promise of God and they didn't give themselves to ending and living in the fullness of that promise. One of the greatest struggles that we have as pastors is that when you see the potential that God has, the promises that God has for people, and you don't step into it. John, remember that you are always responsible to lead them and to challenge them and to push them to experience all that God has for them, but you're not responsible for their choices. People of Mendham Hills Community Church, don't settle for just some of God's promises. Keep fighting to lay hold of the entire promise that God has for you as individuals and as a church. Wilbur Reese has this poem that I think speaks to our culture in the church today. He says this, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a spoon in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love a black man or pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal and a paper sack. I would like to buy 
$3 worth of God, please. John, in this new season, as much as it depends upon you, don't let people settle for just good enough. I think one of Joshua's biggest failures was that there was no one to succeed him. That I think one of the lies that leaders often hold on to is that I'm the only one who could do this. John, I want to continue the great legacy of Mendham Hills Community Church. Keep raising up leaders. Even today, as we saw the videos, and I've been sitting thinking, man, I want to just say thank you to this church. The scores of leaders that you have produced for the kingdom that's serving in places like Beirut, that are serving in the national office, that are serving in the military, in our district as pastors. Thank you. And John, continue to fan that into flames, raising up. May your legacy be that you lead families and people and communities and villages to realize all of the promises God has for them and that you raise up an army of warrior leaders for his kingdom. John, I'd like for you and uh, Joan uh, to be able to come up and elders, uh, ministry staff, uh, if there are other uh, uh, pastors uh, here, uh, please come up. We would like to be able to uh, pray and to be able to set apart John Henry Eisman. Don't forget the junior. Reverend Junior. Seniors out there. <laughs> John, I'd like to return back to this main point, this main point of consecrating yourself. This is the biggest gift that you have for this church. Paul tells the elders at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, this key verse to pastoral leadership. He says this, keep watch over yourselves and all of God's flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. John, the biggest gift that you have for your church is to keep watch over yourself. Cultivate that intimacy, that quiet time, that tent of meeting. Always remember that the Holy Spirit is the one that has made you an overseer. Watch over the flock. This is the king's most valuable possession. He's bought it with his own blood. John, today as representative from the Alliance, I get the great privilege to stand before you and present you as a man who has been prepared and set apart as a minister of the gospel. The Christian and Missionary Alliance and Mendham Hills Community Church recognize God's call on your life and today we set you apart as one who has the authority to lead and to speak on behalf of God. Based on their recommendation, the recommendation of your church and the Christian Missionary Alliance, we are thrilled to lay hands on you today and ordain you as a minister of the gospel. The licensing, ordination, and consecration council has examined you and have placed their seal of approval on your calling Two, and competency for vocational ministry. Are you persuaded that you are truly called to this ministry according to the will of our Lord Jesus Christ? Are you persuaded that the Holy Scriptures contain all truth required for eternal salvation through faith in Jesus Christ? Are you determined out of the same Holy Scriptures to instruct the people committed to your charge so that they may enter into eternal life in the kingdom through the saving work of Christ our Lord? Do you accept the doctrine, government, and fellowship of the Christian and Missionary Alliance? And you, do you purpose to faithfully minister towards the wide transmission of the gospel, preaching Christ as our Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King? And do you, because of the imminent return of our Lord Jesus Christ, purpose to preach the fullness of the gospel of the kingdom, to promote a deeper and higher Christian life, and the work of evangelization both here and abroad? Do you purpose to be faithful and diligent in the consistent testimony of your public and private walk with God? 
to live a life of purity and of daily dependence on Christ so that you may minister to others what you have first experienced in and through the Holy Spirit of God. Do you declare as your life's purpose to teach and to preach the Christian gospel, to exalt uh, righteousness, to rebuke evil, and to lift up the fallen, to help the poor, to minister to the sick, to comfort those in trouble, to guide and inspire children, youth, and adults, and in all ways serve humanity in the spirit of our master? The licensing, ordination, and consecration council of the Metropolitan District representing the fellowship of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, does now ordain and consecrate you, setting you apart for the work of the Christian ministry. We pledge to you our love, our prayers, and our constant cooperation that working together, we may in all his fullness make the Lord Jesus Christ known. Congratulations, Reverend John. At this point, I would like to invite you uh, to pray with me as we pray a prayer of consecration, setting John and Joan apart for the work of the gospel. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will come now in your fullness. I pray that the good work that you have started, that will continue to completion. Father, I pray that the love of Jesus will overwhelm them that the protection of the Spirit will be with them and go ahead of them, and that today that your Spirit will fill them and flood them with new gifts, new ministry, a deeper depth of love for each other and for your church and for the lost of this world. Spirit, now come and fill them, set them apart as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We celebrate the work that has been done and we live in great anticipation of seeing the kingdom come in all its fullness because of the work that you've enabled them to do. And so today we set them apart in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as ordained minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, proclaiming good news, hope, and healing to a dark and broken world. Come, Lord Jesus, come in all of your fullness. And God's people said, amen. Amen. You're next. Well, I guess there is no fighting this anymore for me. It's official. I am a reverend. Somebody get me a robe and collar quick. I'll be back to my jeans next week. No one worry. Now, if I could just get a few minutes from you guys, I just want to... um, thank a few people and give you something. Uh, if you know my story, this was never really my plan or my idea. In fact, as I was preparing for today, I, I remembered specifically, you know, sometimes God gives you, brings, recalls things. And I remember when I thought this to myself one day, I was driving on Route 80 to work and something came on the radio or something and somebody was talking about some kind of nonprofit work. And I literally remember thinking to myself, and I don't know, God must have made me want to hear myself say it. I remember thinking specifically, why would anyone ever work for a living at something that didn't maximize their earning potential? I remember thinking that specifically. Why would you do that? But once you yield your life to Jesus, he has this incredible sense of humor about him, I think, and this incredibly divine plan that he invites you into. This moment is a long time in coming. I've been coming to this church since 1992. I've been in leadership here since the late 90s. I came on staff in 2003 uh, when I was licensed as an official work of the CMA. I'm about to start my 17th year on staff at this church and about to start my seventh as the lead pastor. 
Time really does fly when you're having fun. But it is not a moment purely of my own making. And so uh, there are a couple of people I want to thank if you would give me the time. To the incredible leaders of this denomination, specifically our district, Bruce Terpstra, our old district superintendent, who believed in me, and he would sit in his office and train me, and Bruce wanted to be here to ordain me, but Bruce has been struggling um, with, with some physical ailments. In fact, I think he's in the hospital this morning, so we should be praying for Bruce. Uh, I owe him a great debt of gratitude. To Doug, who maybe a year or two ago, we were at a district meeting, and um, he came and just, you know, they said, go find somebody and pray over him. Doug came and put his hand on my head. He's got a big hand. I have a big head. And... Uh, <laughs> And so he just prayed over me. And I remember, him, I remember him speaking these powerful words and just kind of hearing it rattle around in my soul. Um, so thank you for encouraging me in this. You and Dave Jansen have just been wonderful um, mentors for me in the process. To the incredible team of elders at Mendham, a couple of whom I've served with with over a decade, much more who has been a, a fellow elder with me for more than a couple of decades. Thank you guys for taking the chances on me, because I probably wouldn't have. Um, standing with me, challenging me. Much more, that's not the first time. A couple times we've gotten into it at elder meetings and he's told me he was going to pin me. Um, <laughs> thanks for caring about my family and my kids and for protecting us when we needed protecting. Thanks for taking your calls, guys, to lead God's people so profoundly, seriously. You have no idea how much work these guys do behind the scenes. You've given up your nights and your weekends to shepherd God's people. You know by now it's not glamorous. Um, but the field, I think we're beginning to see, is, har is white for harvest. And so thank you for loving and protecting, teaching, informing, working for Jesus' bride. To the staff, those who have served alongside me now and, and over the years, God has so gifted this church with amazing staff over and over and over and over again. Talented and passionate people. We've laughed together. We've cried together. I've made a couple of you cry. <laughs> I apologize for that. God has blessed our work so mightily. Um, for, for, for all of the years I've been working here, I've never once gotten up in the morning and felt like I had to go to work. It's just been like going to another home. You know, we have our coffee together, and we laugh together, and we eat lunch together, and we bicker like brothers and sisters, um, but we love each other like family. That doesn't happen in most jobs. It doesn't happen in most churches, I'm afraid. Very few people, this is for the staff, very few people here know how hard and tirelessly you work for Jesus in his church and how often I wind up getting the credit for it and the applause for what you do. But I know it, and Jesus knows it. Well done, good and faithful servants. Can I... I didn't get to do this in the first service, but I just want to give a couple of thanks to my family. Um, to my in-laws, my mother-in-law, Adele, is here. We lost my father-in-law nearly two years ago now. Thank you for never being embarrassed about Jesus and for sticking to your... <coughs> for sticking to your guns about your faith, insisting your daughters marry Christian men, my father-in-law made me explain the gospel to him before I could marry his daughter. <laughs> he really did. I didn't appreciate that at the time, but I do now. Thank you to Dan Delph, who took me out on Christmas Eve and explained the gospel to me. It was like that moment a switch went off in my head. I had heard a million times Jesus died for my sins, but it was meaningless to me until he explained it. To my dad, who's here today. Thanks for never shying away from talking about God or te teaching us um, with word or example that faith wasn't for the weak. Thanks for not just sending us to church with mom, but, but going along. And, and you don't know this, but I thought about you. Quite often when I was a little boy, we would go to church and uh, we went to a, a mainline denominational church. And I don't know if you've been to a mainline denominational church, but they have singing and they don't really sing. Um, it's more like a contest of who can say things sing the least. And... Uh, and so as a little boy, I didn't know what to do, and I didn't know what a man's job was to do in a worship service. And I looked over at my dad, and my dad would be singing, which was weird to me. But it taught me not to be embarrassed about God. And so thank you for that, Dad. Gentlemen, um, you should take a note from my dad. Your kids are watching you. 
mom in the back, one of the reasons I've never struggled to understand the selfless love of God is because I'm your son. And I've enjoyed selfless love my whole life. You walk God into the everyday of growing up, took me to church, taught me about Jesus. You made me pray before I went to bed. My mom watches online pretty much every week. She called me the other day and she said, I have to, I love your preaching, but I have to tell you something. And I thought, oh my gosh, you're just like all the rest of them. <laughs> but if you know my mom, she said, you're just so hard on yourself. She said, and you know, Joan's lucky to be married to you too. So thank you for being my moral compass and for reminding me not just with words about God's love for me and others. My Uncle Ted is out there, who's the first man that ever showed me that you can be a broken man, acknowledge that you're broken and that Jesus can change your life. So thank you, Uncle Ted. To my four kids, Courtney, John, Caleb, and Caroline, there's an old saying that says, once you have a child, your heart forever lives outside of your body. And you will never know how that true, true that is until you have your own someday. To each of you, you have handled the ridiculous pressure <laughs> it's hard when it's your kids. <laughs> the ridiculous pressure placed on you being a pastor's kid with class and grace and strength. Sometimes I feel bad that I did that to you. But I have had no greater pleasure and joy than watching you each come to your own deep, saving faith in and love for Jesus. Despite knowing and living with your pastor father and his flaws and his foibles. Because at the end of the day, Jesus is all I've ever wanted for you. Now as you guys begin to love and follow him on your own, it's so cool to be able to worship God together and work for his kingdom together. Your faith and walk in Jesus is literally my dream come true. To my beautiful, incredible wife, if you know our story, Joan grew up in a pretty Christian home, and I acknowledged that her dad was pretty specific regarding who his daughter would date and who she couldn't. And for a while, I was on the couldn't list. <laughs> and uh, when we started going out and I got my job in finance, things were looking pretty good. She used to tell her friends, you know, I really like this guy. He's the first guy I ever dated who didn't want to be a pastor. And so, John, I know the reality is that you have given up some hopes and some dreams and some plans in order to follow where God has led the two of us. And if you think it's tough being a pastor's kid, imagine being a pastor's wife. There are not a lot of perks and a really big spotlight. But you have loved me and you have followed me and you have allowed me at home just to be John and your husband. You love people more than I do. Thanks for loving me even more than I do. I believe we are a growing testimony of what it looks like when Jesus repeated that the two can become one. To you, the people of this church, for so many of us, this place is like a great home and family. You have my eternal gratitude for calling me and allowing me to be your pastor and for serving Jesus sacrificially with me in and through this place. I need you to know something. I'm a pretty fun-loving guy, but I take this role and what we're doing together very, very seriously. I really do. I think we're engaged in a life and death battle for the hearts, the minds, the souls, the lives, and the eternities of the 92,962 people who live within one town of this church who do not know Jesus. And while we have a lot of fun together, we march camels down center aisles. What we're engaged in is no joke. Christ in us, this church, informed and empowered by the Holy Spirit, is the hope of our neighbors for the, this life and the one to come. We cannot check out or simply go to church or become, this is the danger, especially as the church gets big and large and things get, get fun, we cannot simply become consumers of religious goods because that's when I'll, I'll quit. This is a wonderful day and ceremony, but if you've heard any of the speakers before me, there's one truth I need to leave with today. I need you to leave and understand. Here's what it is. It's very important, especially on days like today. I really have nothing to offer you people. I am, while I'm happy to report growing and maturing as a, as a human being, I am still a sinful, prideful, 
broken guy. You need to understand, I'm not a life coach. I'm not a motivational speaker. Many of you have been very kind about my gifting. But the reality is, I am a servant of the Most High God, revealed fully in the person of Jesus Christ. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, and the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. I am, as it's been said, a nobody just trying to tell everybody about somebody. The great call of this role is to preach Christ, die, and be forgotten. I've come to embrace that. Because at the end of the day, I have nothing for you except him. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the firstborn over all creation. Our healer, savior, sanctifier, and coming king. He is the author and perfecter of our faith, the bread of life, the indescribable gift, and the light of the world. Anytime you've looked up here and gotten anything from me, you didn't get it from me. I don't have any of these. These are not my ideas. His life, his ministry, his words, his death and resurrection are the most historically provable events in the first century. He predicted his own betrayal. He said he'd be killed and raised again to life in three days, and he was. He was seen post-resurrection by hundreds of people over weeks and weeks. He changed the disciples from cowering men who were afraid to go back in the streets to bold messengers willing to die because of what they had seen. He changed Paul from a persecutor of the church to the church's greatest advocate. And here's what I'm telling you. If you will but give him a chance and check him out, do the work, don't be lazy, come to faith, believe and trust him with your life, and he will change you too. And he'll save you here and now and forevermore because he's everything that you're looking for. Your peace and your hope and your future. And so as the band comes up, this has been about exhortations for me. John, I exhort you to based on the word of God. May I exhort you for, with two things to help me in this calling? The first is this. God gave me this verse in my 20s, and I never understood why he gave it to me, because it seems like a weird verse. It was almost as if I felt like God was saying, this is kind of your life verse. And it never made much sense to me, except for the fact that just like you in my life, I've struggled with sin sometimes, and sometimes daily, and, and, and sometimes wondered why he's using me. And here's, here's what God said to me, and here's what I say to you. Paul wrote it to the church in Philippi. He said, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this. Are you ready? That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. And lastly, there's this. If you will do just do this one thing. If you'll just do this one thing, the gates of hell couldn't prevail against this place. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And love your neighbors and each other as much as you love yourself. There is no other name. There is no other name. Oh, 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 oh,